Good morning, New Life. Um, man, it has been so long uh, since we've been able to gather corporately, and it looks like everything's starting to kind of work itself toward where we'll be able to get together uh, again very, very soon. And so we're longing for that. Uh, again, there'll be some changes and things that we do to try to keep us safe and guarded here on campus when we do gather together again. Uh, but just know we're praying and we're longing and we're going to watch, continue to watch and just see um, the different things that are put out by the CDC and our government and uh, officials and things like that so that we can keep everyone as safe as possible, all the while trying to get together as soon as possible. And so uh, so that's, that's what we know right now is really not a whole lot. And so again, through the rest of this month, and we'll just revisit that as we get closer to May uh, of what we'll do in the future. So that's, like I said, the plans for the upcoming little bit for us. But uh, I can tell you the plan for the next five weeks as we gather online and pray that we get to get back together here on campus. And what we're going to do is we're going to enter into a new series called Flashback. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along this morning, feel free to, to do that. It'll be on the screen, but you can also follow along if you like to take, take notes in, in your uh, Bible. Uh, but we're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 12. And so I just want to take the next five weeks and just walk through Romans 12 and Romans 13 and just look at what uh, the Apostle Paul tells the believers there at Rome. And so what we do know, as we're going to see this morning, is that he's going to command them, uh, the Roman believers there, the church there at Rome, as well as us today to be living sacrifices, for, for us to live our life in light of what God has done for us through Jesus. And so he's going to encourage them to do the same thing. And so what we're going to do is each week we're just going to flash back to the cross and we're going to examine how to live our life in such a way that we can look to the cross, we can look to the things that Christ has done and what the cross even means. We're going to look how to no longer be conformed to this world, but instead to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. We're going to look at what it means to mature and what it means to grow and the things that Christ asks us to do as believers, the things that he uh, requires us as his followers to be about and to do. And so we're going to do those things and look at those things. And so uh, we are just a few weeks removed from Easter. We've been uh, out of Easter now for a couple weeks uh, where we put so much energy, so much focus on the cross so much energy and so much focus on the empty tomb. And my fear is that we're so quick to forget, that, that we can so quickly remove ourselves and forget all that Christ has done and accomplished on the cross and the empty tomb. And so I want to bring us back to the cross uh, for us to constantly remember, for us to constantly visit what that cross means and what that cross stands for. And so that's what we're going to do. I, I love this. I found a quote from Oswald Chambers. And he says this, Oswald says this, he says, all of heaven is interested in the cross of Christ. Hell is afraid of it, while men are the only ones to ignore its meaning. And so that's my fear, being removed from Easter, uh, the buzz of all of that takes place around the Scriptures, around what that means for us in our faith. My fear is that we are so quick to forget or ignore what that means. And so my hope is that it has an everlasting impact and impression on us. And so this morning I hope that we will see that in light of God's mercy for us, Paul encourages us to do what? Become living sacrifices. And so we have here in Romans 12, Paul's letter to the church in Rome. He establishes a, a foundation of all that God has done uh, for humankind by focusing on the work of Jesus through the first 11 chapters. So he sets that up. And then in chapter 12, 
what Paul does is he enters a, a new section of his letter, focusing on what it means to, to live as a disciple, to live as a follower of Jesus in light of what God has done for us. And so what Paul's going to do is he's going to plead with brothers and sisters. He's going to plead with the church, with believers there in Rome to live a life of, uh, uh, to be a living sacrifice to God. And so however, Paul is very, very careful not to just give them a, a, a new law or a long list of to-dos and, and don'ts. He doesn't do that because duty or an attempt to earn anything from God, it doesn't motivate us to live as living sacrifices. Instead, what Paul's going to do is he's going to appeal to them. We're going to see his heart as he, as he begins to plead and, and make this appeal to them and I believe to us to be a living sacrifice and that living sacrifice is going to be based on the mercies of God. And that is, we are to live our present lives in view of remembering God's past mercy and love for us. And so Paul states things like this, that I believe lines right up perfectly with it. For Christ's love does what it compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And so Paul, even there in 2 Corinthians 5, encourages us to live for the one who died for us, to, to live fully for him. So Romans 12, starting in verse 1, we're just going to jump in and we're going to walk through and we're going to uh, look at what God's Word says to us this morning. So Romans 12, 1, it says this, I appeal. So there he is. Paul, at the very beginning here in 12, 1, is making this appeal. He's, uh, he's begging. He's pleading. He's urging. Paul is making an appeal to something. So this begging and this urging and this pleading, he's, he's appealing to them based upon something. And, and look at what the Scripture says. I appeal to you, therefore. And so we'll get into what this appeal is based upon. But, but anytime we see that word, therefore, we need to see what it's there for. And so this causes us to look back at Romans 11. And I believe that, that we'll just kind of feel the weight of this this morning here in Romans 11. And that this is what Paul says, starting in verse 33 of Romans 11. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been His counselor, or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. So what does that tell us about this appeal? This appeal, as we've seen there in Romans 11, is based on what? On God's uh, omnipotence, on His omniscience. On his power, on his all-knowing, this appeal is on, is on how great and grandeur our God is. The majesty and the bigness and the might of our God. That's what this appeal is given upon. So I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So when you look at the size and the might and the majesty of God, you've got to factor in and look at his mercies. And so Paul goes right for it. It's an appeal to God's mercy. And so mercy, you can just define it like this, is us not getting what we rightfully deserve. We don't get what we deserve. And we deserve uh, judgment. We deserve wrath. We deserve damnation. We deserve all of those things. And God's mercy is us not getting that. 
And so this is not an appeal, as Paul writes, it's not an appeal to just try harder to hunker down. This is not an appeal to, I'm never going to do, you fill in the blank. It's, it's an appeal by the mercies of God. It's, it's, a, it's an appeal and a begging and an urging for us as believers to lean in on God, to press in on God, to trust in God's mercies, God providing and doing and being and giving, uh, because He is a massive, He is a, a so much bigger and greater than we could ever imagine. And Paul implores and urges and appeals these believers there to press in that way into his mercy. And look at where he goes next as he continues. He appeals for them, therefore, to, to press into to, to God's mercies and to present. Present means just to give, to hand over. You're going to present, they're going to present something because of God's mercy and seeing who he is, they're going to present something. Your body as a living sacrifice. So, so Paul is asking the believers there at Rome to hand over themselves, their, their bodies as a living sacrifice. So what, what do we know about a sacrifice? A sacrifice was, was given to God, was made to God. And the thing about a sacrifice is a sacrifice was usually killed. It was usually uh, the life of this sacrifice was taken. And so what Paul urges them to do, what Paul begs them to do, because of God's mercy, is to present their bodies as a living sacrifice, which kind of uh, goes against itself, doesn't it? An alive sacrifice? I mean, how does that work? What does that mean? To give over their bodies? Why bodies? Why would they give their bodies? Not a sacrifice or an animal. Why not something like that? Something that they have. He wants their bodies. And the thing we've got to understand is that there's nothing valuable about our body. It doesn't matter how shape, how much, what kind of shape you're in. It doesn't matter if you're, you're, you're chiseled. It doesn't matter. Uh, uh, you, you can run forever. None of that stuff matters because what we know in life and in this world, and especially at a time like this, and I want to be very sensitive, is that we are so, so easy to be done away with. We are so easy to be done away with. That we are fragile. That we are frail. The scriptures even paints the picture like this, that our life is but a vapor. And that vapor is here for a very short period of time and then it vanishes. So we are nothing. So what does this mean? Why is he asking for our bodies? And so what I want to do is I want to just kind of explain that a little bit better because I believe it's bodily behavior he wants us to, to hand over our bodies as a living sacrifice. And what that means is simply this, is that we're dead to who we were before. We're dead. We're dead to that old man, to that old person. We have a new life now. We're dead to who we used to be before Christ. And so we, with our bodies, because of our new hearts, live in a way that is fully and pleasing to God. See, our hearts being transformed, our bodies, our actions, us being transformed. How? By the gospel. It leads to a way of living. It leads to a way of being that brings glory and honor to God. And that's what Paul is urging them upon God's mercy to do. To hand your body over, to present it. To, to, to do that. And so we act and we live and we behave much differently as believers than the world. We're called to be holy. We're called to be uh, separate. We're called to be different than this world. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He says, The glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she attracts it. I, I love that. 
when we as the church, we as the body, we as people, when we go out and we live and we do, when we do that differently than the world, what does it do? It attracts. It's not the natural inclination of the heart to, to live like God would live. And we're going to see that here in a few moments. And so when we live contrary to the world, it attracts. We stick out like a sore thumb. We draw mankind. And so we can't act or be different by our own power. I know that. You don't have the power to do that. I don't have the power to do that. We can't do it by our own want or desire because desire apart from Christ is contrary to that. But it's when we're born again, it's when we get a new heart, then we can act, then we can be a, a living sacrifice, then we can hand ourselves over to God and allow Him to transform and change us when we get that new heart. And so when that happens, we get new desires, and those desires, what do they do? They change our behavior. It's not behavior modification, it's heart change that leads to action behavior change. And so I love how the Apostle Paul just connects um, he connects that. Look at, look, look at what he says. He says, that is holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So being a living sacrifice, that's holy, that's acceptable, that's what worship looks like. Being a living sacrifice is worship. Us dying to self, living for Christ. The way we act, the things that we do, the way that we respond. Church, that's worship. That's what Paul's encouraging the believers here at Rome to do. That's holy and acceptable. Hear me, worship is not a 20-minute time slot before the proclamation of God's Word. Worship, you don't just have worship nights where coming is just all about music. No, no, that's not what worship is. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is the motive of your heart. See, we were created to worship. That's how we were made and designed. And so if we want to define what worship is, worship is just gladly reflecting back to God how much we value Him, how much He's worth to us. And so that's what we do. That's what worship is. Is giving back to God, letting God know how much we value Him, how much He's worth to us, how great He is. And the way that we do that is dying to self so that we can live for Him. So when I don't respond certain ways, that's worship. Because everything in me wants to, wants to respond a certain way or everything in me feels like I deserve. Everything in me wants to go this direction when God says goes this direction. And when I die to self and live for Him, that's worship. Not just a music set where we sing some songs, which can and can't be worshipped depending upon the heart of the people that lead, the heart of the people that sing. And so as we think of worship, it's so very important to worship things that can handle the weight, that can handle that kind of weight. Because, hear me, worshiping the wrong things can crush you. Worshiping the wrong things can crush the object being worshipped, because there is only one that can handle the weight of being worshipped. And that's Jesus. That is Jesus. And let, me, let me try to illustrate for just a moment, can I? Because we're, we're in the South, and uh, we're good Southern folk, and good Southern folk, as we long to get out of this uh, pandemic, and we long for life to get back to normal, um, one of the things that's so near and dear to our heart is college football. 
And so that's up in the air right now. What are they going to do? Are they going to be able to? Are they not going to be able to? The sports even now that's going on. But for us being in the south, uh, in God's country down here with some football, that's what we worship. We are quick on a Saturday to worship that college football team. And so the example that I always give, the thing that I always say is simply this. Me being a West Virginia boy, I love the Mountaineers. And I cheer them on. I wholeheartedly go all for them. I mean, I am loving them. I am screaming at that TV. I am cheering when they score. I am going crazy. And we do great for the first three games, but then after that, what happens? Man, I'm devastated because we get into the meat of our schedule, which is the Big 12. And as we enter into that, we start to play some of those teams that are difficult. We haven't quite caught up to that talent level yet. And so as we do that, what happens? We get, we get smoked. We can beat the AAA high school teams at the beginning of the schedule, but when you start to get into the meat of it, we fall apart. And so as that happens, what happens, man, I, I mean, I'm just, my Saturdays can be done for. My whole emotions can be changed. My happiness can be snuffed out. Or what about this? Maybe this is another example of something else that we can worship that can't handle the way. What about, what about a spouse? What about a relationship? I mean, think about it. Desiring that person, wanting that person, needing that person, so you think. That person being everything for you. you uh, uh, doing e- they, they, them doing everything for you. They make you feel a certain way until one day when they don't. I mean, so football makes a crummy God. A spouse makes a crummy God. And there is a list that goes on and on and on of things that make crummy gods. Like popularity, kids make crummy gods, cars, money, future, safety, relationships, all of those things make crummy gods because they cannot handle the pressure. So my question is, what are you worshiping? I mean, what are you desiring and longing for more of than anything else? What, what, what do you have to have? What do you want more than anything else? What are you reflecting back how much, it, how much value it has in your life? And so one of the ways that we worship God is by handing ourselves over as a living sacrifice. And hear me, that becomes easier. Not easy, but easier when we flash back to the cross and we remember what Jesus did for us. And so Paul goes on in verse 2 and he says this. He says, and do not be conformed to this world. Conform simply means to to shape one's behavior. It's an outward expression that does not reflect the inward reality. It's like masquerading or or putting on an act, going, kind of going with the flow, following a prescribed pattern. And so what Paul is saying, don't be conformed, don't fall into the mold of this world. And so the world here means the world system. It means its practices, its standards. Standards that look contrary to God. And so he says not to do that. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't don't look like, don't don't be shaped by. He says don't, don't, don't resemble the world. It's thought pattern. The way that it, it builds up self and makes us utmost. He says not to do those type of things, but yet long for something different, something contrary so do not be conformed to this world but instead he says what to be transformed to be transformed and so how 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 are we transformed how are we changed because transformed that's what it means it means it means to be changed 
It, it means to be, to be different, to go against, is what he's talking about. Not, not to be conformed, not to look like or fit into the mold of this world or the expectations of this world or the longings of this world, but to be transformed, to be changed. And, and the only way that that can happen is because God lives in us. Because God has done a work in us. Because everything in us is contrary to that. Everything in us fights for what this world wants. Because it's flesh. And the flesh doesn't desire the things of God. And the Spirit doesn't desire the things of this world. And there's this constant battle within us. Not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit for that to happen. And so how does that happen? How does that take place? What do we do there? This is how we're transformed, changed into the image of Christ. How? By the renewing of your mind. That's one of the ways that you're transformed. Changed into the image of Christ. How? By the renewing of your mind. So what you think about, what you ponder on, what you allow in your mind matters. It matters. And so we need to put our thoughts on things that point us to God and His way. We need to put our, our, our mind to things that are going to point us to the heavenlies. Not to the worldlies, not to situations, not to circumstances. Not to riches of this world, not to self-helps. But to things that are going to point us to truth. We need truth. We need to know the truth. And we need to feed ourselves things that are going to tell us the truth. And so how, how do we renew our mind? You know, one way is to unplug and get away from the world. One way is to unplug. I mean, we, we need a reset from time to time. We need to get away from, we need to unplug from the things that this world tells us we need to do. The, the, the things that this world is always uh, uh, parading in front of us always trying to coax us with, always trying to draw us away with, whether it be riches, whether it be fame, whether it be popularity, whether it be stuff, relationships. The things that this world tries to feed you is utmost. We need to unplug from. How else do we renew our mind? Another way that we renew our mind is through prayer. We need to spend time on our face before God crying out to God, letting Him know how much we love Him, how much we value Him. We need to thank Him always for all that He's done for us. Because what happens is that sets our mind and that sets our heart on Him. When we remember and we think of all that He's done for us and we offer up prayer and communication with Him, and another way that we renew our mind is through the Scriptures. We need truth to permeate our heart and it comes through our mind to our heart. And so we need to read the Scriptures. We need to see what God's Word says. We need to redirect our thinking. We need to redirect our actions, our behavior, all of those things. And how do we do that? We always compare to Christ. Not our bum neighbor, but to Christ. Jesus is the measuring stick always. Not a pastor, not a leader of your church, not a small group leader, not a neighbor. Jesus is the example. He's the one that we look to. He's the one that we follow. He's the one that we measure ourselves and see the what kind of progress we've had. Always Jesus. And how do we do that? We do that through His Word. 
another way that we can renew our mind is through community, through fellowship. I think that's why this is so difficult. I was reading an article uh, this past week about uh, just what this does to people, kind of this isolation. See, we were created as relational beings, and what do we need? We need relationship. We need relationship with Jesus, and we need relationship with others. And so this kind of seclusion is not healthy. It's not good. It messes with us. We need to be loved on. We need to be corrected. We need to be encouraged. We need to be held accountable. We need all of those things in our life. Why? Because it helps us renew our mind. That helps us to think differently. That helps us to process better in a way that brings glory and honor to Jesus and shapes us and molds us into the image of Christ. So we need those things. Another way that we can renew our mind is, is this thought of being in the Word is to memorize Scripture. It's to hide God's Word in our heart so when the lies of this world uh, are paraded in front of us, we can, uh, we can debunk those lies. We can go against those lies and we can speak truth to the enemy. Oh, you deserve this, or you should have this, or you've worked hard for that. And the truth says what Scripture says to that lie is that no, God has done it all. I am here, and I am able, and I'm allowed because of Christ. And church, there's immense freedom in that. Oh, whenever you break those chains of, of the lies that the devil uh, feeds you through things of this world, of you deserve, or you should have, or you've earned, to when you really realize that you are nothing, and without Christ, what you do deserve and what you should have, as horrific and awful as it is, when you get to that place, there's immense freedom in Christ. Immense freedom. Because when you're the point of the story, what happens when you're left out? You're crushed. You're destroyed. But when Jesus is the point of the story, and we make it about Him, oh, how that changes everything. And so we've got to renew our minds by being in the Word. And the way, another way that we do that is by memorizing Scripture, allowing that to permeate our heart, allowing that to, to, to feed our thoughts. So we need to memorize Scripture. I just love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5. 10, he says this, that we're to take thoughts captive to the truth of God rather than letting our mind dwell on lies. And he says we do all of that. And I love how he ends this part right here in verse 2. He says, we do all of that. Why? So that we may prove what is, the, what is that that's good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. So, so hear me this morning. You will never find and walk in God's will apart from uh, his word and you living sacrificially. You as a living sacrifice. You will never walk in what God's will is apart from his word and apart from dying to self so that you can live to him. It's just impossible. I mean, because we all want to know what God's will for our life is, right? Even in the moment of this day. Like, God, what is your will in all of this? What do you want to do? Get in the Word. He'll reveal that to you. Ask Him to show you. Die to self in this season of your life. And as you do that, He'll point out and He'll show you and He'll point you in directions and He'll, he'll, he'll let you know and bring you in and make you aware of what he, He's wanting to do in you through this time. And so you do all of that. All of that living sacrifice, not being conformed to this world, being transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you can prove, so that you can worship, so that you can prove what God's perfect will is, so that you can know it and walk in it. So us being transformed, us being transformed comes from the renewing of our minds, how? Through flashbacks of God's truth through a flashback of looking at the cross and remembering what the cross stands for and what that means, remembering the truth of God. 
And so when our minds become immersed in the truth of the gospel and in the amazing love of God seen through the cross, then our lives will be transformed. An act of love like that, you can't help but be changed by it. When, when you realize and you see it through the lens of the gospel and your heart is made new and you see it through the reality of what the cross stands for, you will be transformed and changed. We will be changed. So over the next several weeks, what I want to do is I just want to just study these specific ways that Paul encourages their, the believers there at Rome to, to live for God's glory. I want to look at that. I want to dive into that. I want to see that why? because I want us to be changed. I want us to be transformed. I want us to look more like Jesus coming out of this, less like us in the world. So as followers of Jesus, we're to no longer live our lives in conformity of this world. Rather, through the renewing of our minds with the truth of God, we become transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And I would plead with you, church, I would beg of you, flashback as often as you can and remember what Jesus did for you by way of the cross. Never forget the price that was paid for you, for your soul. And when you live that way, when you see that, when you go back and look at all that Christ has done for you and you remember the cross. See, the cross is not something we as believers mature away from. No, the cross is something that we always run to and are near and dear to. It's when you move away from the cross that you get in trouble. When you move a, away from the cross or you try to mature past the cross is when you fall into the pit. It's when you take your eyes off of Jesus. When you start to long for the things of the world is when you take your mind and your heart off the cross. Man, so may you spend time in the Word. May you spend time praying like you've never prayed before. May you memorize Scripture May you be renewed by the transformation, maybe by, by the word, by the presence of God. May he do a mighty, mighty work in you and through you. I'm going to ask you if you join me as we pray. Father, we love you. Jesus, we need you. Thank you so much for this morning. God, I know it's unconventional, and God, I am longing for the day we get back together. I can't wait to see my brothers and sisters. I can't wait to see my friends. Oh, Father, I beg of you, do the work you need to do in this moment to help shape and mold us and form us into your image. And Father, my prayer and my hope is that through your word, through the cross, that we'll go back and we'll reflect and we'll remember often of what you've done for us. And God, that would motivate us to live a life of holiness, to live a life of differentness in this world so that we can have an impact and a voice. Jesus, we love you and we need you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hope you have a great week and we will see you again next week.